it's Sabrina Hahn and this episode is brought to you by our very dear mates at Bentonite WA who make very high-grade premium calcium bentonite clay, which is 100% West Australian owned and operated. So uh, you only need a very small amount, 3 to 6% in your garden bed. It's all through my garden bed. So check them out, bentonitewa.com.au. Well, I dig that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is exciting. We're back, Sab. <laughs> I know. And in a whole different format, really, Jamie. Yeah, so we're the same people, but we're just yeah. in a different place. Yeah, different place. Yeah. And with a little bit more freedom of airspace around us, I would have to say. Yeah, that's true. Um, so different environment. Don't yeah. have the, the ABC walls around us. No. That's okay. So yep. uh, this, is, this is our own podcast that we're doing. Yep. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> and it's to do with the right kind of dirt. Not the dirty sort of dirt. Okay. It's the brown dirt. It's right. the stuff that covers the surface of the planet. Right. I'm completely prepared for a different show. So you've, <laughs> you've caught me on the hop here. So it's about gardening, right? <laughs> it's okay. About, it's, about, it's about all things to do with living organisms on the planet, basically. Because okay. we're going to cover... A lot of topics here, Jamie. I like it. I like it. You're going to bring some mates along too? Absolutely. I've got some good mates in high places, or some of them even in low places like caves. (laughs) (laughs) Some are going to be crawling out of caves, Jamie. Wow. Okay. And they'll be covered in the dirt that we talked about (laughs) before. And probably a little bit of bat shit as well. Right. Bats in caves. Do we have bats here? (laughs) We have lots of bats here. Really? Even in, in where I live. There's at least two species of the little micro bats. Okay. So yeah. I'm learning stuff already and showing yeah. how much I don't know. Ah. Okay. You want bats. You want bats because bats eat mosquitoes. Really? Yeah. I'm a, mosquitoes love me. I am a, ah. yeah, they just love my blood. You have to surround yourself in bats, Jamie. So I've got to bring some bats around. Yeah, I'm yeah. the kind of guy that I go outside for two minutes yep. and I've already got five bites on my ankles. <laughs> It's true. That's I can't. Great. I've got a beautiful area out the back that we love to hang out. I can't use it because it's just mosquitoes. Well, that's. I'm pleased I know that because whenever that's why we I go invited anywhere, you over. yeah, yeah, I'll send you out first. Yeah, then they'll it. be full. Uh, and then after 20 minutes, you know, we'll send you out again. Happy to play a role, Sab. <laughs> And uh, I'll play a role here too. Uh, along with some mates, like you said, we're going to learn some stuff. We're going to have a few laughs, which will be good. The shackles are off a little bit. Uh, and not that they were ever really that on. Well, uh, no, I think we did push the envelope as far as we possibly could. I used to always get the Monday email. <laughs> and it just have little time codes on it for a certain point in the show. And a little cross next to it. <laughs> Or a little angry face. Not too many ticks. So I was always getting in trouble. We'll get ourselves into trouble here too. Uh, But we're going to have some some questions and things like that as well. Some some advice for people who are listening along. Yeah, people can write in with their questions. Or whatever they do. What do they do? They're going to email in. They can email. They can get in touch on the socials. 
send smoke signals. You, you've quite popular on oh, social media. I was checking it out before. <laughs> you realise how popular you are? Well, that's only because I'm old and I've been around for a long time and people are probably thinking she has to drop dead soon. Get in while I can. Oh, she must be getting on now. To be so honest, let's, you know. that's why I wanted to start this now. <laughs> so I better to... No, I'm joking. That's not, that's not even funny. I love it. Now this is going to be fun, Sab, uh, and we should probably just let's kick into it because this is yeah. this is week one of something new. Uh, mm. I reckon it'll change a bit as we go along, and we'll just kind of see where it lands. I reckon. I think it'll evolve. God yeah. only knows into what. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the exciting part. All I know is that dirty will stay in the title. It will certainly, and there'll be many a deed done in the dirt. Indeed. Mm. Okay, we'll look forward to those deeds. They're coming up. Uh, we're gonna. Uh, answer a few of your questions later on as well. You can get those in uh, at, to email Sab. Uh, you can send them on the socials as well. But as I said, you're going to bring some friends in along the journey and mm. you've brought a great mate in for episode one. Yeah, I thought we'd better start it with a very sort of strong influence of, you know, of what I'm really passionate about. And I like to find people that have equivalent or even greater passion. Right. So I've brought in a genius scientist, I like to call him, because he's, he's looking around <laughs> he's looking to around. see if someone else is walking in the building. So Hans Lumbers, who has um, graced us uh, beautifully with his presence, has offered to be – no, he didn't offer. I actually said, Hans, do you want to be our first guest? Because – He's done remarkable work and is very passionate about the biodiversity of everything that's found in Western Australia. So welcome, Hans. Thank you, Sabrina. And um, so I think it's the first time Jamie's met you. Yeah. Yeah, we're having a little chat before. First mm. time. Um, I like your sandals. Very nice. <laughs> He's a man of the outdoors. Yeah, they're practical and yep. fashionable. And yep. that's two ticks from me. Exactly right. Yeah. So, um, so Hans, you spend a lot of time sort of wandering about in bushland and looking at stuff, but looking at it sort of from a different viewpoint to what the average West Australian would look at it. Would that be a fair comment? I think that's probably a fair comment. Hmm. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like looking at it in exactly the same way as others look at, at it. You can appreciate the Banksia just because it's such a beautiful plant, same for the Grevillea, same for lots of our eucalypts. They can be beautiful in their own right, and that's fine. But I like to dig a little bit in the dirt as well. Mm-hmm. That would appeal to you, wouldn't it? Just to clarify, that was dig in the dig. dirt. Yes. Yeah, just yeah. for those Digging playing in the at dirt. home. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I like to dig in deep. I like to dig deep in the dirt because that's where a lot of the secrets actually lie. So you can appreciate the Banksias because they are, they look beautiful, but you can appreciate them even more if you realize that they actually grow in our crappiest soils. Yeah. That's where they do extremely well. And in the past 20-odd years that I've been here in WA, I've tried to work out how they actually manage to grow, to grow in those extremely nutrient-poor soils. And that adds a whole new dimension to their beauty. And so... That's what I like to do. I'd like to, to look at, at our flora also from that perspective. And it is interesting, isn't it, when you look at Australia, because it's a pretty ancient landmass, like it's older than Jamie even. Just, yeah. And, um, and so, of course, you, it? <laughs> it is actually older than me, which makes it remarkably old. Um, and, of course, when you've got an old landmass, 
uh, basically like our bodies as we get old, all the good stuff kind of leeches away. Well, not all the good stuff, but a lot of stuff just leeches out of your body. You know, fluids just go. This is what I got to look forward to. (laughs) (laughs) So my question to you is if you've got an ancient landmass with ancient nutrient-depleted soil, why do we have so much biodiversity here? Well, that's is, that is a question that I, I really struggled with when I came to WA in, in 1998. And I'm not claiming that we've got all the answers, but we've got a very few, we've got a few very, very important answers. The first question that I asked is, why do we have all these plants that do not associate with mycorrhizal fungi? I taught as a professor at Utrecht University in the Netherlands, and I taught my students that mycorrhizal fungi are very important to get phosphorus for the plants. And so here you are. We have poorer soils than anywhere in the world, and yet a very large fraction, including the proteaceae, the banksias, the gorillias, the hakeas, and what have you, we have got a very large proportion of our flora that does not associate with these good fungi. Now, why is that? Nobody could actually answer that question. So it took me about 10 years to really appreciate what these guys really do and why they are much better than all these plants that associate this, with these mycorrhizal fungi. These plants like banksias, they make wonderful cluster roots. They look absolutely gorgeous when you when you show them on a slide. And, and, so and like they've got a frock on and they, stuff. They, they actually look like that. They look, mm. they look absolutely gorgeous. But they don't just look gorgeous. If you understand what they do, then you really appreciate how clever they actually are. What they do is they produce these roots and they only live for about three weeks. And during a few days of their life, they pump out truckloads of of acids, citric acid, malic acid, or what have you. And these acids, they dissolve that tiny bit of phosphorus that is in the soil that other plants and that mycorrhizal fungi cannot get hold of. So, why are they so, so successful? Because they've got a superior strategy to get phosphorus out of the soil. And that's why we have so many non mycorrhizal plants. So, they're bloody genius at it. They are absolute geniuses, absolutely, yes. But there's more to it because you'd think, well, if they have that superior strategy, all the other guys that are a bit inferior, they should be competed out. And that's not what happens. So why is that? Now, that is something that we are discovering right now. So we have got that that Banksia or the Hakea with a fantastic strategy to get phosphorus out of the soil. But next to it grows a plant that does not have this superior strategy. And what that plant actually does is it borrows a little bit of the phosphorus that the neighbor actually makes available for it. Oh, so they work together. There's a bit of teamwork going well, on. Well, teamwork, teamwork. It, the Banksia does all the hard lifting and the, other, <laughs> and the other one gives nothing in return as far as we know. So everyone needs a Banksia in their life, just something they can leech off and uh, let them do the heavy lifting and you can just... We went through. That, that's part of the story. But it's a bit more complicated than that because that guy next door may not be very good at mobilizing the phosphorus, but it, associated, is, is, it is associated with those mycorrhizal fungi. And what they do is they defend the plant. They boost defense 
of that plant against pathogens. Mm. And there are lots of native pathogens in our system, like Phytophthora, like Pythium, for example. Uh, they they are, are pretty tough on plants, but the mycorrhizal fungi, they defend the plant against those pathogens. But the Banksia does not have an association with these mycorrhizal fungi, so they suffer. So, put it all together, you've got a Banksia that is very good at getting the phosphorus. The neighbor says, ah, thank you very much. I'll take that. I have a bit of that. that. Yeah. And then the pathogen comes along that hammers the Banksia, doesn't kill it, Mm -hmm. but it keeps it down a little bit. And so all that phosphorus that is mobilized goes to the neighbor. And the neighbor is not affected by that pathogen because that has an association association with that friendly fungus. It's a little bit like having teenagers still in your house, isn't it, really? (laughs) It's a similar sort of system. Like the parents do all the hard work and then the teen... Or even worse, a 35-year-old companion plant just sits in your house doing nothing, (laughs) (laughs) sucks all the nutrient and goodness out of you, Uh, and then you're left there a wilted banksia, really, at the end of the day. Yeah, but just knows where that line is of where to stop (laughs) just before things get a little too difficult or go too far. I like that. Do you know what blows me? It it is, of course, possible that that I'm wrong and that the guy, as as you suggested, they, they... they do give something in return as well. So we don't know that yet. So at the moment, we only know that the Banksy is very good at giving, but perhaps the other one does give a little bit in return as well. That's possible. That's something which we need to study a little bit more. So you may well, very well be right that it is actually mutually beneficial. Yeah, there you go. That's another career for me. I didn't even realize, Sabrina. Oh. Do not blows my mind about this stuff is that we're still learning about it. So all this time and all this history, and we're still uncovering things beneath the dirt, as you were talking about before. Yeah, yeah. The answer lies in the soil, really. And it's only we're only just starting to delve into the soil, aren't we? Sort exactly. of scientifically in the last yeah. decade or so. Yeah. It's interesting, um, I think, that we look at dirt as being some inert dead thing that just sits there. Um, and we don't recognise the role it plays in in life on Earth yeah. in, in total. And so it's it's fantastic that now we've got, and of course we've got all the mechanisms and the machines that actually look at what's in there yeah. uh, microscopically. Yeah. Um, and it's heaving with life, is yeah. it not? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Mm. Yeah. So I think there's more party going on underneath the, the soil surface than there is above. Right, so that's where the action is. We the just, action, the party's going on down there. We've got no idea how big that party is. You just need to look for it and do a little digging, I suppose. Mm. What do you see when you walk through the bush that I wouldn't? What are the things that you pick up on that I just gloss over? Well, I see when I, I walk 10 metres that some species appear there that burned back there and others disappear. So that to me tells me that there's something going on in the dirt that allows this plant to be here, but not back there. So that's, that's when I walk through a little reserve, like I did last week, for example, when we went on the little hike uh, on the Cape to Cape uh, the, 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 the trail, when I walk there, 
I see all these species coming and going and coming and going, and I know it's all a reflection of what, what's, what's in the soil. For such a big open place, do you find that it's really different in small little areas? Like there will be something that happens to thrive in a spot and you walk, I don't know, 50 metres down the track and there's no chance it's going to be there just to, due to a slight change in those conditions? That, that is exactly what happens. And that is typical for, you mentioned that old landscape, but we have, we have, we have incredibly old landscapes over here, very different from Western Europe. Western Europe was glaciated only about 8,000 years ago. Well, the last time this part of the world was glaciated was 290 million years ago. That's even older than you are. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's incredibly long time ago. So all these little differences between different parts of the landscape, they have been bulldozed 8,000 years ago in Western and north Northwestern Europe because of the glaciers. That did not happen here. So the differences between different parts of the landscape, they could just persists and, and become greater and greater with more diversity. So um, in terms of what's left here and, and what we need to do, I have, I have to say I do have a, an issue with a lot of the major projects that happen in Western Australia where... Uh, developers can come in and I call it landscaping. So for kilometres, the entire landscape is completely removed. Um, And it's interesting when you think of Australia in terms of the rest of the world, why that is allowed to occur here in Western Australia. So why, why do you think some of the reasons are for that? Well, we've got a remarkable system where if you are a developer and you have a a grandiose idea, you want to develop this basically by destroying the bush to begin with, what you do is you hire a consultant and that consultant writes a report. Well, you may not like that report (laughs) and you go to another consultant and you may not like that report or you may actually have a little discussion with the the consultant and then that the consultant is willing some are, some are not, is willing to modify that report a little bit and uh, put all the important stuff and appendices and all the stuff that, that needs to be there too will be, will be in the appendices. So it's all there. It's not, it's not entirely hidden. It's just put in the appendices. And in the executive summary, you put all the stuff that you are willing to tell the EPA. Then that report goes to the EPA and the EPA says, oh, this looks all right because what this developer wants to do is not really significant because it's such a part so such a small part of the of the bigger scheme what you really need to look at is look at the entire scheme not bit by bit by bit and allow a developer to write a report that then goes to the EPA and the EPA doesn't even have the time to look at it and it says yeah all is right it's not significant whereas if you look at the entire plan it is significant mm. in other parts of the world the idea that a developer Hires a, con- hires a consultant and sort of massages that report in other parts of the world that might be considered corruption. Here it's the norm. It's how we do things. Yep. And that basically means that lots of our fantastic biodiversity can actually be demolished, uh, endorsed by, well, by our own state government, really. So in this state, we have some of the most significant global biodiversity hotspots. But I think the big problem is is people don't understand 
what the criteria is to qualify for being one of those global biodiversity hotspots. Well, and th- th- there's two important criteria. First of all, you need to have heaps of species. Well, we've got 8,000 in the southwest and more than 12,000 in the state. So we qualify from that account. But we are only called the biodiversity hotspot because a very large proportion of all these species are under threat. That's point number two. So we can be proud of being mm. in a biodiversity hotspot when it comes to the number of species, but we can't be very proud when it comes to how many species are actually under threat. That is why we are called the biodiversity hotspot. So you're, so you're looking at around, you know, 60, 70% of species under threat of extinction. Exactly, yeah. What, well, what, what counts as under bad. threat? How, how, um, how significant is something up against it if it's put into that category? Um, the Carnivis cockatoos is, is a good example, of, or, or the other black cockatoos are good examples. They are, we have, we have destroyed so much of their habitat, we have taken away so many of their food plants that they are desperate to actually survive and their population, the numbers actually decline. And if we don't turn that around very, very quick, we'll probably lose one or two or maybe all three of these black cockatoos. Right, and there's a lot of other species in a similar boat. And and I'm a, personally, I'm a plant scientist, so I look at I look at I look at plant species, and and we've got a rare grevillea in the Greater Brixton Street wetlands, for example, that only occurs in Ellison Baird Reserve. That's why where I study it. We've also done a little bit of work on the in the reserve next to it, where it is actually gradually disappearing uh, because something is happening with the hydrology there and then there's another small reserve where it also occurs. So that particular species is under threat because we're stuffing up the environment. And then when you talk, that first example you gave about the banks here and you talked about the teamwork of everything around it, that's the impact, right? That's how if you lose one, you can lose others because the dependency. That grevillea, of course, is very important for the honey eaters that depend on it and for lots of insects that depend on it. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a cascading effect. It all hangs together. So everything's linked together. It's actually a system. There's a system where this chain work, these links are made so that everything is actually dependent on that system being a whole, not with broken chains in it. And so, you know, the, we really, really need to preserve what we have left yeah. and protect it. Yeah. somehow yeah so research is will be our guiding light because we'll have the science behind it that shows that all of this actually exists and we're still finding out so much yeah. about yeah. it yeah yeah it's bloody exciting it is Hans. it is it is bloody exciting and that grevillea i talked about i wanted to know for years why it only occurs in that reserve and mm. two adjacent reserves. Mm. And it is thriving in Ellison Baird Reserve. It is on its way out in the reserve next door. So so why is it? What is what is so special about this plant? What is so special about the soils that makes it makes it rare? And and well we actually cracked it. Uh, it's it's absolutely fantastic. We we need the water. Without the water, that plant can't survive. So in Ellison Baird Reserve we have that water in the adjacent reserve. That is gradually drying up, so we are losing it there. But it's not just the water that it needs. It also needs a little bit of extra phosphorus, which, which we have there, low in the landscape. And it needs calcium. And that calcium is there. 
down on the lower plane. Down in on the lower plane, yes. Mm. And we even discovered why it needs the calcium. Calcium is a positive particle, and that positive particle is needed to balance a negative particle. And that negative part particle is actually something that the plant uses to deter herbivores and pests. So it accumulates lots of a particular compound, but to, to be able to do that, it needs that positive particle, and that's calcium. So now, if anyone, if this has rocked your socks off, folks, if this has really made you go wild and really turned you on, Hans has actually edited a magnificent book um, that covers a lot of what we've, well, a tiny bit of what we've talked about today. But it's called A Jewel in the Crown of a Biodiversity Hotspot. It's available from the Naturalist Club of Western Australia, from New Edition Bookshop in Fremantle, and any other place that's got any bloody sense whatsoever to have such a magnificent book. It's a whopper, Hans. It's that is a big one. It's a biggie. It is a big one. And it is called A Jewel in the Crown because that area that book focuses on is actually the most biodiverse on the entire Swan Coastal Plain. It's an area that starts at Les Murdy Falls and goes straight to, following the Yule Brook and Crystal Brook, goes straight to the Canning River. Is that an area we should all just go have a look at? You should have a look at it. And why don't you come tomorrow? Because tomorrow we've got a gladi grab. So I can use oh, lots of people. grab. We've got a gladi grab. <laughs> And so you can you can look at it and and pull out a few gl gladdies at the same time. So that's gladdy as in gladioli, not a granny grab. Don't oh, go so gr here don't I go again, getting the wrong idea. <laughs> oh no, you were so that is right up my alley. <laughs> I was going to say it wasn't going to be my first granny grab, but it won't be my last. <laughs> but it's something completely different, uh, and I've just given away a little secret that I shouldn't have. That's great. Ah, Thanks, but that's what this is all about, isn't it? Yeah, uh, just on that, you know, when you talked about that level of biodiversity. So what's the takeaway of the things we can do in our own backyard? Because the things that you were talking about, a lot of it may be out of our control. We can show interest in it. Uh, we can, uh, you know, talk to local politicians about it. We can ensure that those, there's some pressure put on to keep those things. But what's the stuff I can do back at my place? Well, what you can do back in your place is what I'm doing in my own backyard and not in my front, front verge. And I go to the neighbor and do exactly there. And that is get rid of the bloody lawn because that's just a water guzzler. And instead of that, I plant lots of native plants. And you should see how grateful the honey eaters and the native bees actually are. So you, you can, can bring them back. You can, you, can, you, can, you can look after the biodiversity and you can bring that back. And those, those gardens and those verges, they are actually wonderful corridors between the different uh, reserves and, 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 and parks that we have in, in, uh, in Perth got to get rid of my lawn how i'm going to compete with my neighbor if I get rid of, you know it's just that really passive aggressive competition where you don't speak to each other but you just have uh, a little look and yeah, go that's right nice one brian i win <laughs> you can gorilla garden too yeah. i quite like the idea of gorilla gardening and just popping things into parks that have no native plants in them at all for some unknown reason you pop a pop a little seedling in from time to time just see what happens yeah, well, they grow where yeah. other things don't because they don't require the water nor the nutrients. It's a bloody marvellous, exciting yeah. world we yeah. live in, Hans. Yeah. We've got people like Hans that are looking uh, at very, very small things to sign. So we've got a hook on understanding why it's so special. You're special, Hans. 
<laughs> Actually, when, when Sabrina was telling me about you, she did say two things that stood out to me. One, he's a genius. So, there you go. You're a genius. And the second one was make sure you ask him what turns him on. Now, I was a little nervous to ask that question, but I feel like I've been talking to you for 25 minutes. So, we're mates. What turns you on? Well, I'd walked a part of the Cape to Cape with my, my, my better half because it was a very special birthday last last week congratulations so we were we were we, rather than starting at one end of the cape to cape and walking to the other doing that for 135 kilometers and having a backpack on your back and, and going from place to place we decided to find ourselves a little little resort in the middle and that's where we stayed where we had lots of fun we had nice meals in the evening but during the day we actually walked part of the cape to cape and then went back to our little little hovel uh, where we where we where we enjoyed our evening meals and and what turns me on is is walking through nature over there and 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 seeing how the vegetation actually changed from one kilometer or even less than a kilometer to the next to the next and and trying to understand how that all works uh, that is what you can do here in western australia i grew up in the netherlands all flat it's basically all the same biodiversity as we have it here i mean what what we have got there you can treasure of course you should treasure that too but what we have here is just fabulous it's 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 magnificent compared to what you will find in western europe now that turns me on yeah i'm, yeah. I'm turned on as well i oh, know oh, i've been turned on for quite some time now <laughs> <laughs> and things are about to get awkward no um that's awesome i love that i've uh, I want to get out and have a look and I want to get my hands dirty and start to see some stuff that you do. That's, um, see, that's, that's the power of Hans. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Maybe we can do it together, Hans. All right, he's in. He's in. Beauty. Right, I don't mind sharing him. So. Okay, that's okay. We can all be friends. You're not going to get angry if you see me put up a little photo on Instagram no, of me and no, Hans. No, he's my cool. friend. That's you cool. took him away. <laughs> yeah, we can all share. Um, hey, so good to meet you. So good to talk to you. I reckon we'll definitely have you back. Oh, and we will. Yeah, mm. that was great fun. All right. Thank you. Hans, thank you so much. My pleasure. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. Wow. Yeah. All right, Sab, we're going to get into some issues while we're here. We're going to help some people out. Mm. And we've got a few questions that have uh, come in for the first step. Oh, from our, from our peeps that are listening to us here. Yeah, that's it. We, oh, you know, we gave a little, a little heads up on social. Yeah. So thank you to those that got in early. You're going to get your questions answered. Hey, I want to start with uh, this one from Nick, who says, I have a devil's ivy that I want to propagate from. It's really long. Stop bragging, Nick. Uh, I was hoping to get maybe 20 cuttings from it. The only problem is I don't know where on the stem I should cut it. What oh, do I do? Nick, 20 cuttings. He's going for gold, isn't he? Yeah. That's... Nick, I think you're a little bit greedy with oh, your really? devil's ivy. Yeah. Uh, pothos. So um, if you are doing the pothos, because that's his common name, oh. as well as devil's ivy, okay. uh, which is an indoor plant which has long internodes. So they're the things where the leaves emerge from. Right. So, Nick, you're going to have to have at least two internodes. I don't know if you're going to get that many cuttings from it. I don't know how long it is. 
needs to be bloody long to get like 20, yeah. 20 cuttings. So you need two internodes because you need to bury one in right. the soil. Okay. Longitudinally, not up and down vertically. Right. We're going we horizontal. Go horizontal. <laughs> so pin one node down, leave the other node just sitting on the soil surface. Yep. And away she goes. Okay. And don't be greedy. You're probably going to get greedy, 20 Nick. Nick. There you go. Uh, this one from Christine. Uh, who says, my soil in Warwick is very alkaline. I went to Warwick High, did you know? Did you? Little fact for you. <laughs> Was it tough? <laughs> Pretty tough. Yeah. I, I, I drove through Warwick about 30 years ago and yeah. I was thinking... Tough, tough yeah. suburb. Yeah, no, nah, it's a, it was a great, great little spot. But yeah. the school when I was there, long mm. time ago, mm. yeah, a little rough around the edges. It oh. suited me. I like that. Yeah, a little bit of rough and tumble. We had a strike once <gasps> uh, in year twelve. Wow. Yeah, because we were striking that the school was introducing uh, a, a, a sixth period to the day. Now oh. the school day was going to run the same amount of time, but we didn't like it. We wanted five <laughs> periods, not six. So we had a strike on the Oval and in true Warwick Senior High School way. Set fire to something? No, no fire. <laughs> We're not that bad. Come, We're surrounded by bushland, actually. Ah. You'd actually like it around there. Bush everywhere around Warwick oh, High. beautiful. Yeah, would have seen lots of stuff. Mm. Uh, but we introduced a game called the Cage of Rage. So we got two hockey goals, put them together, and people had to box inside. <laughs> That's how we passed the time. I'm sure it's changed. That it was is tops. Top class education, though. It turned out okay. Uh, actually, I had a very good English teacher there. Anyway, the cage of rage. It was good fun. Anyway, so Christine's got some alkaline soil. Yes. She wants to make her compost acidic to try and counteract that, and she wants to do it without using sulfur, and she reckons that the sheep manure and cow manure I thought would help tests very alkaline. Of course, she spreads it around uh, her struggling citrus uh, and thought she'd test it afterwards. Uh, she's worried that if uh, she uses the sulfur, uh, which seems to be the standard answer, it'll be detrimental to the soil microbes. Uh, no, what's going to be detrimental to a lot of the soil microbes is the alkalinity of the soil. Right. So rather than using manure as a... So what happens in when alkaline soil is there's certain nutrients that are not available to plant material. You're better off getting a fertiliser that's got all the minerals in it. Forget about the manure for now. If your compost is alkaline, then you've probably got too much nitrogen in it and not enough carbon. So carbon is the dry stuff. Ease off on the wet stuff, put more of the dry stuff in. Uh, so with the fertiliser, get one that's highly mineralised, Got all the microbes in it as well. Okay. So if you get a microbial-based fertiliser, like well, in Western Australia, you can get it from Grow Safe. Um, over east, I don't know. Overseas, I know even less. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, fact-finding mission. What are you doing next week? <laughs> And for the rest of the universe, no idea what their planets are made <laughs> up from. So um, you need a mineral-based fertiliser. Okay. Mm. Good stuff. Good luck with that, Christine. Say hi to Warwick High for me. Uh, and this from Tanya who asks, uh, is there a herbicide that I can dip a mop-top robinia roots into that will get taken back to the parent tree? That's oh. such a mongrel tree to get rid of. Really? Oh, my God. So the mop-top rubinia suckers 
Like if you've got one, say, in Warwick, yep. it'll sucker up in Scarborough, like 30 kilometres away. Gee whiz. They're a bastard of a tree to get rid of. So with the sucker yep. that comes up and will come up for the next five years, you have to spray it with a combination of blackberry tree killer and kerosene mixed together. You need 60% kerosene. Mm-hmm. 40% blackberry and tree killer and spray those mongrels and you'll need to keep doing it for five years. Oh, wow. That's a bit of effort, isn't it? It's a lot of effort. Yeah. Mm. That's tough. That sounds like serious Rubinia, stuff. bad weed. Okay. Mm. Good luck. It's going to be a long-term battle, that one. Hey, um, speaking of international, I like this one from Peter who's got in touch with us and he says, I'm in Sacramento. Sacramento. Hello, we've gone international. I like it. Uh, He's visiting his son, new granddaughter. Congratulations. Uh, I noticed that they're Monstera. Yeah. Got it right. Uh, Needs some TLC. You can see the photo there. Not looking great at all. So he wanted to get in touch with the wisest person in the West. That's you. Uh, Any help would be appreciated. That's from Peter. Oh, we love you, Peter. He's normally in Manning today in Sacramento. Oh, okay, but he's over in Sacramento at the moment. Yep. Mm. What do you reckon? What can he do? Okay, so the picture of said Monstera is it's got black all around the edges and it has holes in it. Now, having holes in it is normal, but not having black all around the edge and the holes as well. Okay, it's holes been, good, black bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they may have it inside maybe. It's not an indoor plant yep. and it's definitely been overwatered. Okay. It needs to go out into a shady spot. What's the weather like in Sacramento now? It's probably getting quite cold. It's going to be getting cool, I reckon. Yeah, so maybe don't take it outside to say, yeah. But it needs a lot more light and a lot less water. All right, good luck. Let Once us, a month. Let us know how it goes. I wonder how long he's over there for, helping with uh, mm. a little grandkid. I just go and buy them new plants. Yeah, better idea. Uh, hey, let's finish off with this one, uh, and it's come in from Pat. G'day, Pat. Uh, I have a blue ginger flowering plant. Oh, they're beautiful, Jamie. Oh, my God. The flower Mm. is sensational. And the blue ginger is very tropical. Really? Not topical, but tropical. tropical. It could be both. Uh, Anyway, Pat's discovered that it has numerous tuber-type roots. Can I pot these tubers? And if so, what type of soil do they need? Yeah, because it's a ginger. Yeah. Like the ginger rhizome... Runs horizontally, horizontally, yeah. horizontally under the ground, uh, like all gingers do. So yes, snap off a bit of that. Yeah, whack it in a pot with potting mix, and it's got to be just underneath the surface. So you probably need mm, about five to ten, no, only five centimeters of potting mix above that rhizome, which you will grow. Horizontally. Okay, horizontally is the key word there. She yes. wants to know as well if uh, they can be kept in potato in sacks, like potatoes, those Hessian sacks. The reason for the question: she's got a gardening club, they're having a store next week. She'd ah, like to give some away. Yeah, cool bananas. Yeah, they'll go gangbusters. Actually, she wants to sell them. She's not giving them away. She's making some dollars. <laughs> Sorry, Make Pat. Make some dollars, Pat. Make some dollars. Yes, indeed, you can. But they probably won't buy them until the rhizome has shot. 
and got green leaves on it because they might you could say underneath this bag of just dead soil there's blue ginger but they're going to go is there really yeah is there really fell fell for that trick once Mm -mm. not going to happen again absolutely not hey uh if you've got a question uh we're happy to answer them over the journey as well so give us a message yeah. Yeah. You can do that on the social medias. On the social medias. On those medias. I just sound 100. How good is that? <laughs> Get in touch on Facebook, on Instagram. Find Sab's page there. It's a ripper. Uh, you can also flick an email as well and uh, and we'll get we get through them in the weeks ahead. We will indeed because we love questions from the punters. It's good. No question is too hard or too private. No, no. <laughs> well, just, just remember what the dirty bit stands for, okay? Just remember, questions around that kind of dirt, not the other kind. I mean, I can help with the other kind. That's why, we, that's why I'm here, right? That's, that's right. That's your forte. All dirt bases covered. Hey, um, hey, Sab, that was heaps of fun. You want to do it next week? Oh, let's do it again. All right. Oh, come on, Jamie. Let's do it again and again. And again and again and, and again. again. All right. We'll see how it goes. Loving it. Great to see you. Bye. Ciao. It's Sabrina Hahn, and this episode is brought to you by our very dear mates at Bentonite WA, who make very high-grade premium calcium bentonite clay, which is 100% West Australian owned and operated. So uh, you only need a very small amount, 3 to 6% in your garden bed. It's all through my garden bed. So check them out, bentonitewa.com.au.